I actually think the president, for what he was dealt and what he's done over the course of the last week, should be congratulated on the way this was done. Now, there's many things left to handle of the course of this situation. I think the president's done unbelievable yeoman's work. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. Oh, you regret this? And you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last... Welcome to the Ruthless Variety program. Here we are on a big Thursday uh, where... I, I, I don't know about you guys. I almost can't believe my... That was Matt Dowd. Yeah. To uh, clarify, that's Matt... Mel Patter. Mel Patter. Mel Patter. And, you know, I, as you know, the winningest King of the Hill champion of all time, current reigning champion, Matt Dowd. But it was so bad, we had to leave the show with it. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I mean, man. We, we were talking about this before the show. It's like, Dowd doesn't even have that much money. Like... For to completely sell out on his principles completely, you'd think you know he'd end up with like a lot, but I, I, I mean, maybe I, his I, price was cheap. I just really like the idea uh, that Biden's Afghanistan withdrawals is yeoman's work. I just you know? I can't wrap my head around <laughs> like it's a people. scrappy, scrappy little kid, you know, six man on the basketball team coming in for some garbage minutes. He's a real spark plug. Yeah, the guy's been... He's not the president of the United States. Yeah, he's been in D.C. for God knows how long, and now he has the entire might of the U.S. military, and the guy can't get people out. Well, I mean, the thing is, is it's not even about that. It, it, There is no chance anyone with a straight face can say that this president is doing a good job yeah. with Afghanistan. Like, if your metric is how many people you got out... Isn't it worth asking the question why it is that you have to get the people out? Yeah, why are the people well, falling go. from the airplanes? There you go. Yeah. Why are people standing in sewage outside the airport? Yeah, maybe it's because you handed over our, our air base and all of our equipment to the Taliban as we were getting out before we actually got our own people out. I mean, that's yeoman's work. This guy, that's a special tank, man. It's incredible. I mean, it's well seen the photos. Uh, that, that a lot of journalists have gotten that were still over there. I, I now understand, I guess, the majority of them have found their way out. But you see uh, the Taliban head-to-toe in, like, mm-hmm. American combat, you gear. Know, combat gear. And they look like special forces. They all got beards. They even got the, like, uh, the shades. Like, yeah. these dudes are rocking, like, Oakleys with night vision and, like, you name it, rolling around in Humvees. And, but yeoman's work. Yeah, yeoman's work. Yeoman's work, Dowd. What an idiot. That guy, I, I don't... He's he's better than Jen Rubin. I never thought I could say that. <laughs> it's something else because she's been nuclear. She's been on a tear. And like I, I even I replied to one of her tweets. Uh, I guess we should just get into the discussion of b- before we just like surprise not have uh, uh, a matchup between Dowd and Rubin. This would be the third week in a row. Like we know Rubin has been on a tear. But folks, it can't become the Matt and Jen show. You know? Right. Right. It can't. We decided we couldn't do a King of the Hill. And if for no other reason than, like, the last one we had last week were, like, three straight walk-offs. Yeah. Two from Dowd and one from... Yeah, I mean, these folks, Ruben. they're just really bringing it. I mean, it's just so it's just so remarkable. But we do have a big, a big show planned. We have Ryan Zinke on the program today. You may recall he was President Trump's interior secretary. Before that, he was a congressman from Montana. He's running again. 
It's a great interview. You might ask yourself why somebody like that would want to run again. Yeah. Uh, but he has a, a very convicted reason for doing it. Former Navy SEAL service in his background. He's coming back on very emblematic, I think, in a lot of Republicans who are running because they feel like they're ultimately saving their country here. I mean, the way things are going. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a huge thing and why you're seeing the like red wave building. Totally. Totally. So let's just banner around a couple of things that I saw in the news today, which I thought were, were interesting. Have you guys noticed uh, at the grocery store, there's just not the sort of uh, inventory that you're used to lately? I have noticed this. It's pretty sad. Like, remember years ago when we'd be like, oh, socialism doesn't work in Venezuela. Look, their grocery stores. <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> oops. Here we go. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, years later. So. Uh, there was a, a story in Yahoo Finance about Cisco Corp, North America's largest wholesale food distributor, is turning away customers in some areas where demand is exceeding capacity. The company also said that prices for key goods such as chicken, pork, and paper products and takeout packaging are climbing amid tight supplies. They also cite, and I think we've been covering this a lot, the high demand and labor-intensive Cuts, right? So mm. so part of the pre- problem that they're having that we're seeing everywhere with small businesses, apparently this is also hitting large manufacturers of food and wholesale distributors. People don't want to go to work. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's all you're seeing in action, basically, with the Dems have wanted all along. You know, they, they, they want people to be completely dependent on the government. They don't want small business owners to be able to operate and... Uh, you know, decide on their own destiny. Let let these small businesses know. It's it's either you're getting your money from the government, or they're okay with like monster corporations. Like you can either be Amazon, or 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 just wait at home for for a check. That's about it. But, but the labor shortage thing is a real deal, right? If you try to try to get a household item like a appliance or some or a stick of furniture, like you're gonna wait forever. But now you're seeing it. It's it the great blessing that we had about supply chains in this country during COVID, during the initial lockdowns, was that we kept them going. You could get grocery stores with food. So there wasn't this panic, this mass panic. But now, as this has all sort of unfolded, and the government has incentivized people to not go to work, have paid people to stay at home, paid their rent, as we saw in these headlines again today, um, it's, it's having a profound impact where people are not getting the same kind of markets that have been accustomed to in this country forever. Look, I, yes, you're absolutely right on on a number of fronts on the supply chain, and I've I've felt that you know I'm like you know trying to order things like furniture or appliances or whatever. But I mean, we got football season coming up. Yeah, we got football season, and so in in the food pyramid in in my home, uh. Chicken wings get right there in the middle of it. That's right. Oh, you got to get, but that's what they're saying. They're, having, they're I know. having trouble with the chicken wings. But if, what I'm saying is, is if we get into football season and this oh, is still going on, chicken, oh, yeah. and this is still going on, we're going to have a revolt in this country. Well, they'll, they'll, <laughs> And that's the thing is, this is basically like, you know, the, the, the triumvirate of a, a solid Sunday football get together. They're like, uh, there are major problems getting high demand, labor intensive cuts like bacon, ribs, and wings. Yeah, the dads, the the dads are going to grill dad revolt. We are going to have a grill. We're going to have a grill dad revolt. Everyone, get out your New Balance sneakers. <laughs> it's time to march on Washington. You want to see an angry crowd? Yeah, that's right. 
you go out to see, they're going to mow the shit out of their lawn and then they're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, the libs apparently have an answer to all of this for us. Uh, did you guys see these, uh, these like square meals? Yeah, yeah this is the, this is the Soylent Green bullshit. Yeah, yeah, right. So, so they put together, I don't, how would you even explain what this is, Dunks? Is this like a, is this real or is this just like to troll us? No, this is this is real. They they are actually doing this. Go it's for it. squares. It's squares of prepackaged, uh, like bite sized food. Yeah, like I'm looking at one right now. It says it's a chicken square, fifty gram chicken square, super tender and tasty. It says, and it literally just is a a white square with these fake grill marks on it. Yeah, they have a website. It's Square Eat. That's the name of it. And they basically, I don't know. It's almost like if you took baby food and put it into ice cubes and froze it, folks. It's what it looks like. like. That's what it looks like. They're like, oh, this is a asparagus square. It's 50 grams of asparagus. They, I guess, threw it in a blender. And now, I don't know how, they, like, formed it into, <laughs> this is, like, I'm shape. I'm just glad they've finally made a, a Tide Pod that's actually edit- editable. <laughs> that's exactly what it looks like. It looks like, like a Tide that's Pod, exactly doesn't it? That's exactly what it looks like. They've solved, they've solved the, uh, the Gen X or the uh, what is the it? Zoomer, the yeah, Zoomer. Zoomers, the Zoomer problem about eating Tide Pods? Yeah, yeah. That was they a- actually what that's what they look like. Let me just tell you, in no world am I ever eating that thing ever, ever. I mean, this is their plan. You know, it's like okay, you will own nothing. You will eat sustainable yeah. squares. Here's your nutrition. Yeah, you won't own a home, and you'll be happy. This will keep you alive while the government figures out what to do with you. Exactly. Oh my God! I will not eat the squares. Not so. Um, but, but I mean, again, we're staying on the food genre, Chick-fil-A, which we've covered a lot. Remember the, remember the shortage that they had in the, uh, both the chicken and then it was the sauce. Well, now the big problem is staffing. Same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing. Like they can't get people to go to work. Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Their locations are closing their dining rooms because they can't get staff. And Chick-fil-A is renowned for having the best employee benefits and the, the best employees, like best employees, yeah. awesome people of all time. You get your food and and you say thank you, and they say my pleasure. Oh, awesome it's just I, it's a pleasure to go into yes. every one of those. But apparently they ha- they're having a real problem, and they're actually closing down. I mean, anybody who's been to a Chick Fil A anytime like in the last year, the lines around the block that never changed. Mm-hmm. But now imagine the demand is the same, but they can't actually open because no one will work there. Incredible, it's heartbreaking. The, wor- the, the worst is it's always a Sunday when you're like, man, I could go for some Chick-fil-A. Well, <laughs> I mean, the other the other thing to think about here for people <laughs> is like, you know, you, you hear about a company like Chick-fil-A and you're like, wow, you know, well, that's a huge multinational company or whatever. But I mean, these are franchises that are owned by people who live in your community. Right. You know, um, I mean, the guy who has the, the Chick-fil-A around us is an incredible person in the community yeah you know i mean like they'll have like parties for like the local soccer team and stuff like that it's like you know there's a real face to this problem it's not just like some huge corporation dunks is just real locked in on his chick-fil-a i'm I'm an aficionado i i am a signature one rewards (laughs) member and and before we're recording i i I gave duncan props i want to do it publicly i didn't know they had that was it sweet and sour sriracha the sriracha yeah that's been a staple of my grilled chicken nuggets. Oh, he introduced that to you? Yeah, I'd never heard of it. I had no sweet, idea they had them. It's sweet, it's spicy, it's delicious. It's perfect. <laughs> so shout out, Duncan. Thank you. All right, so COVID. 
Um, boy, it's it's a big problem. Uh, I was told that Biden was going to fix all this, guys. He had yeah. the plan. He was going to shut down the virus. The adults are back in control, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the plan, the guys given the vaccine on day one can't can't make it work. New York Post may provide uh, some relief for the Biden administration, though, because they've reported that llama antibodies may neutralize COVID and help prevent infections. A lab trial finds. This is great news. So now we just got to find the llamas. So do you fight? Do you I, fight I llamas? Hundred percent could take a llama, and I mean it would be like clearly to the death because I want the like COVID cure from. Well, I blood. think it's kind of similar to the goose situation. You got a long neck, a lot of neck to oh, work yeah. to attack, a lot yeah. of neck to work. And they, I mean, look at the llama. They're not. Uh, I'm looking at the picture right now in the New York Post article. They're not fighters. Don't they spit though? I think that's camels, right? I think that's only yeah. It's a camel. Llamas, it's a llamas too. Well, here's the, so I went to a birthday party, I don't know, a few months ago for four-year-olds, and they had llamas, two llamas. How big are the damn things? Are they like horse size? No, they're not that big, but they're big enough. Like these suckers. Llamas do spit. I'm, I just Googled it. Okay. Yeah, as a show of dominance. Well, that's another reason it's off the thing. Well, so here's the thing. So these llamas pretty docile. Four-year-olds are hanging around, and I, and I asked the owner of the llama who's like minding the llamas. Uh, I was like, so, you know, do these things ever get aggressive, right? Because I've got my four-year-old standing right. right next to this giant llama. And they're like, no, but you don't want to separate them. And I was like, what? What? So apparently they, they travel in pairs, right? Like many different species, they they travel in pairs, lifelong mates. That's kind of nice. And But if you separate the two of these llamas, the things go nuts. And so, like, so I was it's a question of can you take two llamas? Right, so it's, that's that's my point here. I watched as one llama kind of got separated from the other llama, started bucking like a bronco. I huh. mean, this thing was jumping around. Those hind legs looked a lot stronger than I thought they they were. It's jumping around. It can they hop? Have you seen these they things jump hop? around? Oh God, they got a huge altitude. That's interesting. I wouldn't have expected, you don't expect to jump from these things. So, like, I think, Smug, if you're going to take a llama, like, you got to go first shot because. Yeah, it's got to be two hopping. that are common. You got to instantly off one. Like, first move has to be just end one. <laughs> you go then one. Then you can worry about a heads up with the jumper. <laughs> one to the beak and then grab the neck of the That's other the thing, one. Yeah. Wrestle them down. Yeah. That when they're calm, you go, you roundhouse one. It's got to be just a neck snap, like, finisher on the first, and then you're worried about the, the, the second. Unbelievable! Jumping. I, know, I mean, the jumping is an issue. The jumping's a huge issue. issue because they're coming down with the kind of force because they're so high up. If they come down on you, yeah. it's gonna hurt. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be a quick strike against these guys. <laughs> but the blood, apparently, you know, uh, according to the New York Post article, their COVID blood has antibodies, or their blood has antibodies against COVID. So, I mean. Yes, so I, I think we need we, to look into that. We now have no. I'm gonna, have a, have no I'm gonna try to arrange uh, under the pretense of a birthday party. <laughs> and be like, actually, I'm looking for the cure, friend. We're gonna we're gonna drink the blood of your llama. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Don't worry, children. This is for your own good. <laughs> Everyone, grab a straw. <laughs> Jesus, oh my God. <laughs> We've turned into an animal cruelty podcast. I don't know how the hell that happened. Um, so, but let's stay on COVID for a minute because there's two things I want to mention. The first is the new governor of New York, Kathy Hochul. Hochul, I believe. Yeah. Well, she, on day one, 
publicizes the fact that there are over 12,000 more COVID-19 fatalities in New York than Cuomo uh, admitted. Yep. And, 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 you know, he should be in jail. I mean, the man's going to burn in hell for this. Again, God bless Janice Dean for staying on this. But I think a lot of people in New York, you knew this. I mean, it hit New York so hard. It was mismanaged so terribly. And with, with Cuomo making the decision to send COVID-positive people into nursing homes, the most at-risk group, I mean, honestly, that even sounds like a, a undercount to me. 12,000. 12,000. That's unbelievable. I think it just says something about today's Democratic Party. Because there's a guy who had atro- did atrocious things to women in his office, was an awful human being, right? Right, right. Nobody's excusing any of that. But somehow that's what took him out, not actually killing all of these people. It's really something. And and they long ago found out that, you know, when the feds were asking for data, his office was like, "Uh uh-uh. Nope. Nope. nope." Like, we'd known for some time there was a cover-up going on. Right. And that doesn't take him down. It doesn't take him down, and the cover-up survives until he resigns. Yeah. You know, that, that, that there are people who work in that administration, now new administration, who were culpable, who were responsible for this. And nobody blew the whistle until he was gone. Yeah. Which is just so pathetic. It's just so pathetic, man. It just, it tells you a lot about today's democratic politics. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a, a perfect window. And on that score, did you guys see the headline in the post yesterday about this intelligence report that Biden demanded for, for COVID? Yeah, yeah, this is uh, the inconclusive report. I mean, <sighs> the intelligence community is not as intelligent as we've been told. This was on the origins. Of- yeah, so Biden, you know, uh, basically forced into right demanding a report on the origins of COVID-19 because Trump and others have said from the beginning, this is a Wuhan Institute of Virology issue. Right. Right. That this is a gain of function issue. Rand right. Paul and others. Something that was a conspiracy theory. Right. Republicans. Well, they were banned from social media for suggesting as much yeah. early on. Then it became more and more likely that that is, in fact, the case. They could not find at any point any animal that had the COVID-19 origins at all. Right. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. And somehow what always struck me as odd was. Uh, the left telling you it's more racist to believe the virus escaped a dangerous virus lab than that the virus came from a wet market. Yeah, I, I don't get I didn't get that. I also just don't understand what the, the knee-jerk reaction to defend China on this stuff is. Like, well, I, because they had to blame it on Donald Trump. Yeah, I guess it's as simple right. as I think it's as simple as that. I mean, I don't know. But I feel like when Donald Trump was in the White House, they would do anything. They would they would they would kowtow to any foreign government just for the pleasure of taking it to Donald Trump. Right. Right. Well, so now the intel community is going to get to the bottom of this and they do a 90 day review and they come back and throw up the old IDK emoji. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Could be anything. Could be anything. What in the hell is the is the reason for issuing a report? If that's your answer. I mean, that's the thing is, oh, well, it's inconclusive. Okay, great job. I wonder how, you know, what happened to the resources that went into this? It's like unbelievable that you have uh, the intel community in general, to me, has been an absolute disappointment. 
Like these people are out there spending more time investigating Lego sets than a virus which has killed millions and has crippled the economy that has changed the basically day to day life for all humans on this planet. And 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 they're not trying to get to the bottom of it. And they're basically saying like, I don't know, China won't cooperate. That's basically it, right? That's it. That's it. And and we knew this from day one when the WHO was basically running PR right for China. Where, right. Where I mean, again, I invite everyone to see this um, front line they did about the origins of COVID, right? And how the Chinese government, their instinct was cover up, cover up, cover up, right? Deny, deny, deny. The, the virus starts raging and spreading. And China continues not only to hide the truth from the public, from the world, allows uh, people who may be COVID positive to travel freely. And uh, that entire time, typically, you know, normal countries, when a new virus appears, they share a genome of it with, uh, you know, the global community. Yeah, of like a network of scientists. Bingo. Right. So China drags its feet, and it was like, I want to say it was like two to three months until they finally released the genome, and within 24 hours, German scientists had developed uh, a COVID test to mm-hmm. check if you're COVID positive. That entire time, the Chinese government spent covering this up. Just wasted. And then here's the thing is, why would they be covering it up unless, you know? Yeah, what's the point would of covering cover it up? Would they cover up if some animal in a, in, a, in a wet market had it? Almost like they'd only cover it up if it came from the lab. It's incredible. But why anyone in this country would, would want to help that narrative? I guess what frustrates me most about this, though, is, you know, we're going to commission a report. What's our leverage, right? Like, like, is there a legislative, is there an executive move that we can try to do in this country to force the hand of the Chinese government to comply with an investigation? Because my fear is... COVID-22, COVID-23. Oh, for sure. You know, I mean, you know, you get another coronavirus. Um, God, well, what are we going to do? No, I, I look, I, I think that's a, a very worthy. I mean, is discussion. it sanctions? Is it like, you know, I and mean. That's the thing is this has happened before. This is not the first time the Chinese government ran this play. It was avian bird flu. They did the same thing. Yeah. Because they keep getting away with it because they're allowed to. The international community just like turns the other way. The intelligence community turns the other way. It's it's uh, unbelievable. It really is stomach turning. Um, what we need is a red wave. And the good news is the red wave is coming. Uh, we've talked extensively about the polling from last week. One little bit of like Senate specific news. Um, and with full disclosure, our, our uh, firm that we belong to does a little bit of work for this guy. Uh, Adam Laxalt announced for Senate in Nevada. And a lot of, I think, I don't know, I would say most pundits would assume that that is now probably one of the top one, two, three Senate races in the, in the country. Well, today, some polling came out, showed Laxall with a 10-point lead over Catherine Cortez Masto, Huge. current Democratic senator. Wowzer. <laughs> Wowzer. You know, they're counting on that being the firewall for a Democratic majority in the Senate. If ne- if Nevada goes the Republicans' way, brother, we're going to sweep this thing. And here's the thing. So full disclosure, I don't work for the guy. I actually met him and got to hang out with him a year ago. Yeah, it was about a year, year and a half ago at a Trump rally in Las Vegas. Awesome guy. I would have been a lot more respectful, like, you know. I thought this is just a cool dude, just one of the bros, right? 
I didn't realize he'd like served and was just like, you know, actually yeah. a respectable person. Yeah, we're going to have to get him on. We're going to we're going to try to get him on in September to tell his own story because it is really remarkable. But I saw that polling. I felt like, look, we need periodic red wave discussion because nobody else is doing it. And when this all happens, frankly, I want the credit. Well, you know, <laughs> you know? I I think and, and you were talking about this, at, you know, previously, Holmes. And I would love for you to sort of expound on it. But I think this Afghanistan stuff has sort of revealed the Biden administration for voters in a way that the inflation and the economy and COVID necessarily haven't. Totally. You know what I mean? So people are inherently deeply con- conflicted about Afghanistan, right? I mean, most people want to get out of there. Right. Nobody thinks that what's happening is good, other than Matt Dowd. Other than Dowd. Yeah. Other than Matt Dowd. Nobody thinks that what's happening is good. But it's like the question is whether that's a voting issue. And you keep hearing the spin out of the White House that the, ultimately the American people are with them. So, like, this doesn't really matter. Like, none of this stuff is a problem. But what you saw out of all the polling last weekend, to me, brought back huge historical parallels. And I'll get to that in a second. But there are, in a course of a presidency, you deal with issues that unmask an underlying incompetence, right? That that voters, it's one thing for, for us on this program to sit here and tell you, like, this guy is asleep at the wheel. He's incapable of doing the job. He's making mistakes hand over fist. You expect that from us. We're hardcore. Right. Right? The people who actually voted for Biden, they give them a little leash on that stuff. Yeah. Until there is a demonstration project that so completely reveals incompetency and the sleep at the switch that you can't ignore it any longer. And then it's not even so much the issue that brought that to light is that it allows you to go back and look at all of the other problems. The stuff you gave them a pass the on. The stuff that you gave them a pass on, right? right? So if you look at the NBC poll, CBS poll, there was a USA Today and, and a couple of others, his numbers on the economy, inflation, mm-hmm. COVID, immigration, literally every hot button issue that we've been talking about throughout the entirety of this administration have all taken a 10-point hit, right? Yeah, that was the interesting thing is looking at this polling is first you see, okay, so Biden's underwater now. But the, like, majority of the reason he took a hit isn't isn't Afghanistan. It's on how he's handled COVID, mismanaged his handling of COVID, the whole narrative of, oh, well, the adults are here. Yeah, sure. I mean, you got vaccines handed over to you. You showed up and this is this is the result? This is yeah, the best? and it's, it's because... You've gotten an international focus on one issue that is indefensible. Mm-hmm. And you know for a fact, regardless of what your opinion is on Afghanistan, what this guy did, what his administration has done, is entirely without strategy, without merit, haphazard, reckless. Yeah. Right. Yeah, people falling from planes will do that. Right. You know? Right. And so so you extrapolate that out into a whole bunch of, of other issues. The historical parallel that I was talking about was in the second term of the Bush administration when Katrina happened. Yeah. And you saw, you know, Michael Brown from the disaster management, the FEMA down in, in Katrina. And there was people wading through without any federal help whatsoever, you know, dying essentially in the streets of New Orleans. It gave a whole bunch of people who were concerned about the economy, who were concerned deeply about the Iraq war, about a whole range of issues that they sort of gave Bush a, a newly reelected president a pass on. Right. 
an opportunity to go revisit and say, well, maybe he's handled all of these issues with the same incompetence that they're handling Katrina. Right. They no longer trust the process. Exactly. <laughs> so so all of those numbers fell. Yeah. Like if you look at where Bush's numbers were pre-Katrina and post-Katrina, everybody goes back and says, yeah, yeah, it was Katrina. No, no, no. It was what Katrina exposed. Right. And that's what exactly what I think we're watching with this administration. It's not Afghanistan. It's what Afghanistan exposed. Anybody who would hand over Bagram Air Base to the Taliban with all of our planes, our weapons, 5,000 high-value prisoners, all of that stuff before you got Americans out of there, that's a level of incompetence I don't even think you can really comprehend. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And I, I, I got a feeling that you're right, is this kind of has an effect on the Biden presidency that even his supporters have to be like, it kind of changes, you know, because the, the whole idea that was put in their heads is, oh, it's Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe's a nice Competent guy. management. Yeah, it's going to be, everything's going to be competent, everything's calm. And now you're seeing, well, maybe not. And the, and the absolute, like, nonchalance, and to me, it, it really feels like Biden just does not care. It just does not care. It, it, he either doesn't care or doesn't get it or both. And I... I it doesn't matter which is worse. Yeah. Right? Well, in in, in another football uh, uh, topic here, a little analogy. It's like, you know, the Democrats picked Joe Biden. They brought in, if he was the quarterback, he'd be a game manager. Yeah, right. right? Like the he, Trent like, Dilfer. Yeah, his job is three-step three, three, three step drops, stay in the pocket. A lot of don't, slants. Don't fumble. Get that ball out of your hand when you, when you have to throw. But mostly you're handing it off. Right. Right? This is the equivalent of getting Trent Dilfer <laughs> and suddenly he's uh, scrambling out of the pocket and throwing three or four interceptions a game. Perfect. And you're like, why, why did we elect this guy? You know what I mean? <laughs> In this case, not even able to take the snap. No. Right. I mean, it's it's as bad as he can possibly. He can't get. call the play. He doesn't know he's in the game. But it's why you're also seeing liberals at this point trying to reframe this discussion all about numbers of evacuees. Yeah. Because if you can reframe this about logistical competence in trying to get people out, you restore that management competent criteria that undergirds his entire presidential, his entire world. That's the thing is you're 100% right. They're trying to reframe it as this. Tell us the number. They cannot settle on how many Americans are in Afghanistan and what date are you going to get them out by? That's the question. That's the crux of this whole thing. And they refused to give these numbers. They they tried giving a number, I think, 4,100. And then the, instantly they jumped back and said, okay, okay, uh, actually that number is wrong. We're, we're not completely sure right now. We're going we're gonna to give an updated number. They cannot settle on, we will, like, that's, that's the absolute, like, lowest bar. Get American citizens out. And they can't even do it. And, and, and the, the, the Taliban said, you've got till August 31st. Well, that's the thing. The Taliban is dictating the terms of engagement. Yeah, dictating the terms of engagement. You got Saki at the podium now saying, uh, sort of hedging a little and saying, you know, if you, if you want to get out, we will get you out. It's sort of like the equivalent of the Obama 
uh, administration on Obamacare, where it's like, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. It's like, if you'd like to get out of Afghanistan, we'll get you out. We'll get you which out. Which is their escape hatch when they, you know, end up stranding some people after that deadline. Yeah. You know? Well, I guess they couldn't get there. <laughs> yeah, right. I guess that was it. But but the whole thing is preventable. They're talking about a, a crisis solving, the logistical feat of solving a crisis entirely of their own making. None of it needed to happen. There was a great there's a great McConnell quote on this. I don't know if we have the audio or not, but it's impossible to imagine a more tone-deaf message from the Biden administration than bragging about the size of a frantic emergency effort which their own terrible policy has foisted upon US service members and diplomats. It's you know what I love about that and it's back to your point Holmes which is like if if they can get into the numbers here of the evacuation, they can provide some distance away from the chaos for the president and say like look you know, this is getting handled. Look, we're adding numbers every day. People are getting out, yada, yada, yada. We're not having a conversation about why it had to be this way in the first place. So th- there was this really great tweet from uh, Jim Treacher, uh, JTLOL, on, on Twitter. He said, you don't get to sink the ship and then brag about the number of life. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's so perfect. That's exactly that's a it. parallel. You that don't is get exactly to sink it. the ship and brag about the number of lifeboats. I mean, it totally is. And, you know, one of the other things that's been totally confounding to me, fellas, is why it is that the, the president is, uh, like, up-talking the Taliban. You know, he's, like, acting like the Taliban's a legitimate government that they've got. Real- and then I saw this, <laughs> this quote from the Taliban that they're vowing to tackle climate change. That's 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 why the Biden administration is torn. Like, Dude, well, they know their audience. I mean, they know their audience. I mean, they're literally, like forcing women into forced marriages, you know, sexual slaves, basically. Well, that's the thing is they're like, well, if, if you don't let women drive and you and you execute people, I mean, that does make a smaller carbon footprint. Yeah. <laughs> so the administration's going to be, huh. gonna be like the, the, the women can't go to school, but we're going to teach CRT. <laughs> they're like, hmm. Yeah, makes a point. Like, yeah, maybe we can makes you know. a point. We're going to have to think about that. Yeah, anyway, I mean, this thing is a complete disaster. It's been a complete disaster. Our allies, which have gotten, this has gotten precious little. Can you imagine, by the way, if Donald Trump was sanctioned, officially sanctioned by the British government? I mean, it's something else. It would be the headline of every paper in the English-speaking world. Yeah. Not Biden. Like, I don't know how many listeners actually knew that. You know? And uh, I can't even remember the, the, the member of parliament. Who gave this incredible speech? Oh yeah, that was calling out Joe Biden for because Joe Biden was like, "Oh, these people, you know, the Afghan army. If 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 they knew how to fight or if they cared to fight, we wouldn't be in this situation." And uh, he said, "If you've never fought under the colors of your country, you know, you should be careful if you're critical of those who have." Oh, it's a real mic drop. It's a real mic drop. But the other thing that's happened as a result of all of this is now a refugee crisis, right? And there, there. I don't know even the numbers. Has anybody provided the numbers of the the number of Afghans that we've that we've flown out of? I don't. I don't. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen any concrete. There's numbers. just been a lot of numbers flying back and forth. I mean, everybody talks about the translators and the people who helped our military on the ground. Nobody is arguing whether those people should come out. Nobody's arguing. Like they obviously should be. Should if you helped America at great personal peril, you and your family, we owe it. We owe it to you. That doesn't make 60,000 other people eligible, though. Well, I, I just I also think like we have a lot of Americans over there, too. And I don't want to diminish 
um, you know, the situation that that the Afghans find themselves in. But I want to make sure we get Americans out as well. Yeah, you know? first, like, like, let's let's do that. And, like- and the inter and the interpreters, right? Well, so ABC. This is ABC News. They had an article online saying that in private, Qatar warns U.S. officials of growing crises at bases housing Afghans, according to an internal report. A Qatari official doubted the U.S. had sufficient personnel, food, and medicine. So that shows this was not anything close to a plan from the Biden administration. No. This is just absolute well, emergency it- that they created themselves. And, and now everybody is scrambling to figure out what to do. And the number, I mean, it, it actually, they're doing now to the Middle East what they've done to our southern border. Pretty much. You know, you've got people just housed. Right. They're just housed in terrible conditions that we're not prepared to, to provide food, medicine, any sort of whatever. And, and, but the number is the only thing they focus on. Oh, we got 68,000 people out. Oh, that's great. What are they doing now? What right. Are they, what, are they, what are they doing now? Yeah. And I keep going back to this. Two months ago, you had 900 service members at Bagram Air Base with no casualties for over a year, and none of this was happening. None of this was happening. Their decision to hand over that base and to pull our people out and allow the Taliban to take it all unrestricted created a refugee crisis that we're now having to deal with too in addition to everything that's happening in that country we're now dealing with it here the whole purpose was to deal with it over there so we didn't have to deal with it here they created it's much this is much worse than the isolation of what's happening in afghanistan this country is now going to have to deal with a refugee crisis of our own making well yeah but at at, at some point we we started running that tab when we invaded in 2001. Like, like I understand what you're saying, but like we, we toppled the government and we've been there for 20 years. This bill was going to come due at some point. Yeah. But the point is, is that with some strategic management at all, which I would argue, and I know people disagree with me, but I would argue if you had 900 service members on the ground where none of this takes place and you don't have any single casualties and you're not, over their nation building, you're just basically keeping the lid on it. That's a far preferable from America first perspective. That's a far preferable outcome than an outcome that up completely upheaves Afghan society forces American personnel. We now have 6,000, by the way, we have 6,000 troops. We have six times the number of troops in Afghanistan than we did before they pulled out. Right. So tell me how that works. And now we also have 60,000 people on the way to the United States and around the world that are completely unvetted, right? Let's talk about the Somali, what we did with the Somali uh, uh, refugees. That hasn't exactly worked out great for us. It really hasn't. I think, we're, I think we're starting to repeat the same thing again because we just made unbelievably dumb mistakes. So easy to, to avoid. And it does keep happening again, right? Everyone was like, this is, you know, Saigon all over. And it's even worse. Way worse. Meanwhile, back in Washington, what's Nancy Pelosi doing? Surprisingly, actually, at work. You know, usually the house is always in recess. Never getting anything done. But, I, I mean, I well, guess this is getting something done. Not that it's actually listen, I'll, I'll, I'll take come of it. I'll take the, the, the house being adjourned from now until 2022, smug. Exactly. Because every time they're in town... 
what they're caring about here is they're now moving on what they call the John Lewis Act, right? What this is is HR one with a few tweaks, basically. They are they are trying and putting their entire political capital while all this shit is going on overseas, ruining everything in this country and everywhere else with their economic policies. They're focused entirely on trying to figure out how to rig the elections. So that's the thing is, so this, now they renamed it, you know, the John Lewis Act. It's the bill's now HR4. And their idea is, okay, everyone sees there's a red wave coming. Everyone sees there are problems in America with, I mean, just staples, like the price of food going up, the price of gas, like doubling in a year. Supply chains, you know, are not, you know, working there's there, there are very significant problems in this country right, like tangible things yeah violent they crime. don't want to focus on any of that what's their focus federalized elections right yeah okay that's, that's great. what they're doing yeah and then on the back burner also trying to figure out how to wrestle to the ground a bunch of progressives and moderates who are objecting to the way that they're processing another three and a half trillion dollars worth of spending i mean what this is entirely of their own making afghanistan entirely of their own making Inflation, entirely of their own making. Immigration, entirely of their own making. None of these, we have enough unforeseen catastrophes in this world. All of the major problems besetting the American people right now are because of the Biden administration. And, and, that, and that, again, like the, the fact that their focus, it's so telling, their focus is on how do we get federal control of elections? That's, that's what this is after. Uh, from this article on Axios that does a great job explaining, it says, if passed in the Senate, it'll restore parts of the Voting Rights Act, giving the federal government the ability to block changes to state election laws. Ah. Found, what? No, no. Found to be discriminatory. Oh, oh and found that's the, that's, to be discriminatory. That, that's the, you know, that's how they're going to do it, right? But here's the thing is, so uh, it's always important to remember, you know, God bless Chief Justice Clarence Thomas. The Supreme Court in 2013 invalidated the preclearance provision uh, that allowed for the regulation of new election laws. And just in July, uh, Supreme Court upheld a pair of uh, voting um, uh, rules in Arizona, which makes it more difficult for the Justice Department, you know, to, to, to federalize elections, right. essentially. Right. Because, because this all goes down to their game. Re- recall, there was an open discussion in Democratic politics about eliminating the filibuster on issues, quote, found to be discriminatory. That's it. That's, there it is. There it is. There the it is. There's the phrase. So back again, found to be discriminatory. So things, just so you know, things that are found to be discriminatory include and are not limited to making D.C. a state, giving Democrats two more senators, because it would be discriminatory if you didn't. Yeah. Right? Well, the one thing I'm not clear on now is... Um, is voter ID discriminatory? Oh, no, it's, it's found to be discriminatory when they're talking about it amongst themselves. But right. When they're, but when they're speaking about it out loud. Yeah, because Jim Clyburn assured me that no Democrat has ever opposed voter ID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I have I have to think maybe they're going to change their tune if they get this thing passed. <laughs> right. Clyburn and Raffi Warnock have been on six sides of that issue already. Uh, I, I guarantee you we'll find that that is a discriminatory practice. Right. Keep an eye on that one because that is that is something that they're trying to do amidst the chaos everywhere else. We're going to stay on it here uh, as well as that $3.5 trillion boondoggle. 
speaking of chaos, I think it's time we should play a game. Let's play a game. Let's play a game. What are we playing, Duncan? We're going to play Dem or Journo. Uh, Let's go. Dem or Journo. 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 Nobody knows. <laughs> so, so long. It's uh, unnecessarily long. <laughs> I like but the, the people prefer it that way. So hey. the people, the people prefer it. Minions so. voted; they prefer the long way. So there you go. I'm going to say the rules just in case Smug forgets them again. Oh, yeah, please. <laughs> uh, Demer Journo, we will read four tweets, three of which are from reporters, and one from a Dem operative. You have to spot the Dem operative. I love that. Um, I will just add the live version of this game was another level in Iowa. Yeah, it adds a lot. It adds a lot. People in the, singing in the along. song. Yeah, People the, singing yeah. along in the audience. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, okay. Statement number one. Kevin McCarthy warned on Fox that there are 5,000 prisoners who just left Afghanistan. That just left Afghanistan is in a quote. And are hoping to cross U.S. border. There is no basis for this at all. <laughs> And it was Trump's Taliban deal, praised by McCarthy, that got 5,000 prisoners freed. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. Unreal. Incredible. Oh, that's a... That's a tough one. Ooh. Okay. Statement number two. New. 19,000 people were evacuated from Afghanistan in the 24 hours between 3 a.m. on August 24th and 3 a.m., on August 25th, we've now evacuated 82,300 people since August 14th and 87,900 since July. Mm. Okay. Statement number three. If a politician is willing to lie about the election, he surely would feel no compunction about lying on other topics. Oh, my God. A healthy democracy needs fact-allegiant leaders across the political spectrum. Good God. <laughs> a fact-allegiant? Fact-allegiant. Has Joe Biden said one actual fact about yeah. his Afghanistan withdrawal? Yeah. Nothing. That's been a fact? I mean, multiple times the Pentagon has had to rush out a statement and be like, actually, that's completely incorrect. You know, they like, wonder, they won't let him answer questions for a reason. <laughs> fact allegiant is such a great phrase it's an incredible oh phrase my God. incredible okay statement number four biden's national security officials last week set goal of evacuating five thousand to nine thousand per day from afghanistan this morning white house says twenty one thousand six hundred were flown out of kabul in the last 24 hours twelve thousand seven hundred on u.s military flights 8,900 on Allied coalition flights. Total evacuees in the last 10 days, 58,700. Uh, All right, I got my guess. I got my guess, too, and I, I want to talk it through. Why don't you give give have Smug give his guess? Okay. Number three. Oh, <laughs> nicely done. All right. Guy all right. just says all right. it. Okay, all right, all right, all right. But let me, let me talk this through, okay? So number one... 
I know you go with the the intuition and magic, which has served you very well. Yeah, yeah, that's how I roll. I think you're net plus in this game with the intuition and, and magic, but I break it down a little bit. So on on one, warned on Fox is the key to me mm. because yeah, it means like maybe a reporter. Well, because they're so obsessive okay. about about taking credit for anything reported that they they nobody would say warned on fox in, unless you're a reporter yeah right okay. that was my, that was that, i got a feeling of that too three to me which is your guess fact allegiant is it's it, it's too um i just think that no real person would ever use that phrase Right, I feel like fact allegiant resides only in the cocktail party that journalists okay. attend. That's uh, you know what I, I buy that. So we're divergent here, though. Right. Okay. Four, White House says, provides some distance. Okay. And if you're just an operative, you just accept the numbers and you just spit them out. White House says to me is you're tr- trying to provide at least a little distance in case that's not true. Mm. Number in case it's not fact allegiant. In, <laughs> in case it's not fact allegiant. It could not be fact allegiant. So number two, when I analyze it, we've now evacuated Yeah, is the opposite Ooh, that's a good of number four, which says White House says. Okay. So I'm going with number two. I bet it's two. I, I, Holmes is right. That's a great oh. breakdown. That was a great breakdown. Andrew Bates at the White House. Yeah, there we go. Uh, fact allegiant. Yeah, that was Jake Tapper. Are you? <laughs> of course. I mean, the thing, this like made up reputation he has of being the fair, balanced guy. Such crap. The guy worked on Dem campaigns as a comms person. I will say he's been tearing this administration up on Afghanistan. But fact allegiant cannot be said by fact allegiant. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, you know, I can see Tapper saying that now, honestly. So, and hey, Dem operative in my book, I claim. <laughs> he claims a, as someone who is a comms person. A moral victory. And, 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 and also, I, I, I shouted out your answer. Um, so, but, you know, Holmes had that advantage. Dude, the breakdown that Holmes provided, though. Yeah. Incredible. It That's was the a, value add here. The expertise. The expertise. You deal with these people long enough, you, you get a little window. Uh Fellas, let's get to this interview. I think you're going to enjoy Ryan Zinke. It's been a while since I talked to him. I tried to recruit him like hell to run for Senate in 2018 against John Tester. He went into the administration and did great things after that. Hadn't had a chance to catch up with him for a while, and he had a lot to say. Let's get into it. I want to welcome to the program a really interesting guy. He was the Secretary of Interior for President Trump. He's a Navy SEAL. He was in congressman, and now he's an, a, a candidate for Congress again uh, in Montana. Ryan Zinke, welcome. Hey, great to be with you. Listen, you've lived a hell of a life, man. You, a president's cabinet, a congressman, a Navy SEAL, a college football player. You're getting back into politics again. I mean, no rest for the weary, huh? Well, you know, of, of the jobs I've had, I, I think the best job actually was commander at SEAL Team 6 because you're, you're with really like-minded people. And I would just, just return from the SEAL reunion on the West Coast. And I can tell you, there are a lot of very upset warriors or what's going on in Afghanistan. I bet. I want to get into that because I know you stay close uh, with all those folks and you're obviously watching what's happening in Afghanistan. What are your, uh, 
top line takeaways of what we're seeing going on over there right now? Uh, chaos. Uh, you know, a situation report is the American forces, our allies and citizens are surrounded, uh, outgunned and outnumbered. It should never have happened this way. And look, you know, I was a, an advocate for withdrawal. I thought at the end, the U.S. should withdraw. But this is not how you disengage. This is a full retreat. You know, tactically, uh, we, Kandahar, Bagram, those airstrips, much more capable, uh, multiple strips, right. big apron. And then uh, we went to Kabul, I think, for optics. Uh, watched the Taliban, uh, you, know, old, you know, overrun. And, and now we're surrounded. We don't really know how many U.S. citizens are there. There was no plan uh, to withdraw our allies. You know, the interpreters and those that fought alongside, it, uh, alongside us, in many cases, you know, their families uh, were right. killed, yeah. the sacrifice they made, and we have a moral obligation. Yeah. And then last, you know, the point that I think uh, that should be emphasized is, you know, we're in dozens of countries. When I say we, special operations are in dozens of countries as we speak now. And we rely on our foreign counterparts, we rely on our coalition forces for a lot of the operations we do. But the message is you can't trust us when things get, get tough, we are, we're going to abandon you. And it puts our credibility uh, across the board on the line and, and it, it affects our ability to operate. And in some cases, we're placing our our men and women who are in special forces at greater risk, not only in Afghanistan, but across the globe. Well, that's the great irony of all of this, right? Joe Biden campaigns for president as a guy who's going to rebuild alliances with NATO allies, right? He's, he's back to sort of a quote unquote normal governing style. And within seven months, I mean, we've never had allies as irritated with America as they are right now. Well, in, in, a, in a short span, as you point out, as a, as a few months, uh, we bagged OPEC for oil right. uh, and, and, and done everything we can to squash and erode our capability to stand alone in energy independence. We, we virtually have no southern border at all. 210,000 people came across the border. And when they come across the border, they're processed in a few hours, no background checks, no COVID tests. They just give them a bus and, and there's some place in the U.S. with a piece of paper that says, hey, come back for a hearing, time undetermined, you know, in a few years. And then finally, Afghanistan is a total chaos. I have friends now uh, that are aiding some of the, uh, the interpreters and some of our closest allies to get out. And the Taliban are hunting them down in, in, in Kabul. Unbelievable. And what all it's going to take is lobbying one round of one of the weapon systems that previous was ours. And you crater that, that runway and it's done. It's done. Uh, and you, you, know, you have a city of about 3.4 million. Uh, most of those residents have some line of sight on that, on that airstrip. And the idea that you're going to rely on the benevolence of the Taliban. That's insane, right? Uh, it's insane. These are the same people that, that brought us, you know, 9-11. Uh, and, and, and it killed thousands of Americans, beheaded people. I mean, and you're going to rely on the benevolence of the Taliban? Uh, it's, right. it's nuts. 
or anyone for that matter. I mean, for those of us of a certain age, coming of age in, in a Reagan-type conservatism, the idea that the United States is asking permission from anyone, much less a bunch of people who rode into town on goats, uh, is just absolutely humiliating. Well, and it is humiliating. So I would imagine the, the military commanders are, are looking at it, uh, building plans. We may have to re-engage in Bagram or Kandahar and, and yeah, push out of the perimeter. Let me ask you about that, because the one thing that's just absolutely puzzling, mean, there's a lot of things that are very puzzling about this lack of strategy, but why would you ever give up Bagram Air Base? I mean, it seemed to me like you had, what, they said 5,000 high-value prisoners over there. It's obvious, as you said, a runway that you can get in and out with a big apron. You know, we, we've, we've held it securely without Amer- American casualty here for over a year. Why give that up? And if you do give it up, why in the world would you give it up before you get all your people and your stuff out of there? Well, it's, it's, it's beyond comprehension that we didn't know how many U.S. citizens were in country. Uh, identify the, the interpreters, those closest allies. It's hard to run an evacuation if you don't know how many aircraft, how many people. So that's, that's, the, that's the first part, right? Right, right? And, of course, the administration says, well, we warned them to get out. And, and then you, you look at the signals, well, come to the airport. And then all of a sudden you got the Taliban out there collecting passports. Uh, you know, that's not possible. And I can show you pictures uh, that aren't on CNN, the confusion, the chaos uh, that's going on around, around the airport in Kabul. But, but it's a disaster. Uh, look, we're, our military is certainly capable. The issue is it's very hard to get rotary wing in uh, from where. Yeah. So we're, we're going to need a footprint and work with our allies around Afghanistan for safe portage and, and have some safe havens where U.S. citizens then it comes with, with three buckets, right? U.S. citizens first, uh, our allies, uh, those that fought with us, and then the refugee uh, issue. I mean, you, you, you look at it now, we don't have backgrounds in these things, and, 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 they're, and they're, they're proud that they're bringing 17,000 or so a, a day, 2,500 citizens. We don't know who, who's the, the rest of it. Uh, you know, tongue in cheek, they had to just drop them off in Mexicali. They can walk across the border and then they'll get. <laughs> it's all the same. Uh, they're in and they won't be vetted like everybody else. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm guessing because, you know, you're paying a lot of attention to all this stuff. You stayed super engaged. You're re entering the political arena in a new congressional district that's been uh, written for Montana. You can't get enough of it, huh? Well, you know, I just. I disdain DC. I think part of the problem is there's an arrogance. Uh, there's a certain degree of, of uh, the idea that DC, the beltway knows better. And it was a lot different from a congressman going in um, to an interior. You know, as a congressman, you hire your own staff, you go in, you to a degree, you know, you hang around like people, you caucus, On the floor, I used to go to the Democrat side, too. I have a lot of Democrat friends. Um, But when you go into interior, I mean, 94% of D.C. voted for Biden. 94%. Yeah, right. right. So it's like being pair-dropped into a department because 94% (laughs) of those people behind the desks 
are in the opposite party and 30% are actively resisting you. Right. I mean, this, this is the cancel culture activists. Yeah. Well, so this is, this is something I think a lot of our listeners have gotten to know of a little bit in sort of shorthand of the deep state. But what you're talking about is a very real phenomenon that every Republican cabinet member experiences, which is they go and they have to run these big departments, in your case, the Secretary of Interior, entirely filled with people who hate you, <laughs> right? Well, and, you know, from a military perspective, when you, when you make a decision, you know, there's a, there's a degree of development. You, you ask people, you get the best courses of action, and you make a decision, and then by and large, everyone then focuses on executing that decision. Not even close <laughs> uh, when, you're, when you're in a department because uh, you have people that are protesting you, complaining. You know, I went through, I think, 18 investigations. You know, from my socks to doors to, and because these people, you know, wanted to stop us, you know, from day one, from day one, the Trump administration. And, you know, when the, when the tempo and the narrative gets, gets large enough, you know, in my case, after about two years, which is about a command tour, then it became about Ryan Zinke and not the interior and the job that the interior has to do. And, you know, the interior, you know, we're uh, about a fifth of the, of the public landfalls in the interior. Uh, despite the constant attacks, we got a lot done. I mean, yeah, we right. went from being energy dependent to energy independent to energy dominant, the number one exporter of energy across the globe. And it wasn't just oil and gas. I mean, we leased offshore wind up the coast of of the East Coast, uh, and really it's about all the above. And then, you know, we had the responsibility of stewardship of our parks and forests. And look, the largest investment in the history of this country to repair the infrastructure and our park system, the Great American Outdoors Act. Uh, and on both cases, everyone said, you can't get this done. It's impossible to get it done. And on that, this is why I think it's fixable. As bad as it seems, uh, and a lot of my friends say the U.S. is, is over, we've, we've, we've had our time in the sunshine. Uh, I don't accept that. Uh, I think it is fixable. But we're in the fourth quarter. It's time to change direction. Um, and then focus on, I think, what, what's important to this country. And that's self-determination. The government shouldn't decide on what you want to be. Right. Uh, how you think. So self-determination, limited government, and then we need to protect the freedoms uh, as enumerated and annotated in the Constitution. I mean, those are our freedoms that individual freedoms, not the collective, individual, that sets, separates us apart as Americans, and we need to defend those freedoms. Yeah, I mean, it's sad that such simple principles like the ones that you just laid out are, are sort of a novel concept in today's DC, but, but you're right. I mean, it is, and we got to get back to that in a lot of ways. Tell me a little bit about, so serving, you, you touched on this a little bit, but, but serving in President Trump's cabinet, every one of you, and I've talked to a number of your colleagues, were under just withering constant attack, right? The whole thought was if they can take a cabinet member out one at a time, you know, that, that's the goal worth, you know, and they had all of these C4s, all of these nonprofit democratic outfits that were just literally geared to try to go through your paperwork and take you guys out. That experience had to have been awful. Well, and there's, there's 
three areas of concern. Uh, one is you now have information oligarchs that are controlling the message. They're censoring the conservative message, they're manipulating uh, investigations, uh, and they're, they're lying. Uh, and, and let's just call it the way it is. And, and then you have weaponized, yeah, at well, one time, you know, I have friends in the FBI, uh, and now the American public looks at the FBI in a different context because we've seen manipulation, we've seen dishonesty, we've seen bias, Department of Justice, the IGs themselves become weaponized. And you're right, and the target was President Trump. But, you know, in a, in a SEAL uh, analogy, they were, they were aiming at the target, but everyone around the target uh, in, in President <laughs> Trump's cabinet certainly, you know, got their share of, 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 of damage from, you know, the cancel culture activists that attacked the president and the cabinet from day one. That's right. And the, and the president did, you know, put an olive branch in, let's work, out, let's work together. Uh, but there was, there was no working with people, number one, that are only concentrated on power and control. Mm-hmm. Power and control. Our side of the equation is individual freedoms, self-determination, the Constitution, and a, a power getting out of D.C. while, while they're at the opposite uh, direction. You know, uh, I always say the fight for freedom never ends. Uh, I'm an optimist. The strength of America is in its people. And I think, I think uh, the American people are taking a look at this administration uh, seven months in with a different perspective. There was a lot of people that hated President Trump more than they loved this country. That's right. Uh, and now I think a lot of people are going, you know, I kind of like President Trump. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he, yeah, we, I don't remember our borders being overrun and our, our foreign policy being a disaster. I know that. <laughs> well, you know, and, and uh, the policies of President Trump, uh, you know, the American first policy was very similar in a lot of ways to President Reagan. Um, you, you, you look at that. Reagan was a different era. Uh, Reagan wasn't attacked uh, like President Trump. And look, President Trump, I've never s- seen President Trump take the first swing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when he's attacked, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a tough New Yorker with, with tough elbows. You know, uh, he doesn't turn a cheek. He's right at him. Uh, and that, and that that's the been, personality. That, that had to have been kind of fun as a, as a cabinet member to work with President Trump in, that, in those early days as you were there right sort of from the beginning to watch how he handled it so differently. I, I got to imagine you have some great Trump stories. You know, I do. And, and uh, I wish, I wish uh, his sense of humor would have, would have been right. uh, you know, more public because uh, he, he, he has a magnificent sense of humor as well as Melania. You know, and uh, in, in, in public, she's pretty stoic. Uh, but look, you've you got to have a sense of humor uh, to, to, be, to be the spouse of, of President Donald Trump. Yes, and, you uh, <laughs> I, I enjoyed I enjoyed being around him. I mean, his cabinet his cabinet uh, meetings were uh, he's always been very gracious uh, to me, and, and you know he endorsed me uh, for this job. We've had a couple conversations on it, and he sees the same thing I do: is that our mission is we have to get the majority back. Yeah. So we're five seats short. Uh, there's 
six seals that are, are, are running uh, right. as a fire team plus Dan Crenshaw. So we have a good, good slate. We need five seats. Uh, you know, it's funny when the, the seals are, are working hard to retake the house of representatives. I'm not sure the house of representatives are ready for a fire team of seals, but we'll see. Yeah. Then, well, <laughs> I don't know if they're ready or not, but I sure hope we get them because boy, well, I, I think, I think we will. And then, then when you add the veterans and special forces, uh, team, it's a pretty powerful group of like-minded patriots, red, white, and blue. I don't think any of us are, you know, we don't look through either a blue lens or a red lens. It's a red, white, and blue lens. And right. in order to save our country, you know, we as Americans, uh, we, we have to act together as Americans. And, you know, I don't, I don't think the biggest threat facing the country really is Russia, China, or even Iran, although each of those is a, is a different type of threat. I think the biggest threat facing the country is the divisions uh, within our country it, itself. And you see it. You, you see the anger still uh, with no the, the radical group, the extremist group, very, very angry. Um, and I think, I think we need to pull together as Americans and unify. And, and you know, we're not going to get everybody, but I think most of America wants to see good governance. We want to see low taxes. We want to see the government out of our lives on day-to-day -day business. Well, we want to see a healthcare system that actually works. Uh, and we want to see a foreign policy uh, that delivers strength uh, rather than weakness. Yeah, well, it's very well said. I'm glad you're re-entering the public arena. You, you may recall, I think the time that we interacted the most previously was when I was begging you to run for United States Senate in 2018. Yeah. Obviously, well, you know, the president, the president asked a couple of times too, you know, the last time uh, you know, I walked, I got called over the White House and I walk in, it's, it's Kellyanne and it's uh, yeah. General yeah. Kelly and, and Mitch McConnell's there and, and, I, and the president. I, I know where this conversation You're is like, going. You're like, oh boy. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, at the time, I said, Mr. President, you know, I, I, I love you. I love my wife more. Uh, but, but the other thing, I can get more done in a month in interior than I can an entire you know, term as United States Senate. Uh, and and you know, my personality, it's, it's better to charge up a hill under fire than coward in a foxhole. And we got a lot done. Uh, and I got their attention and they attacked me every day. Um, but in many ways, it was easier being a SEAL Team 6 commander than, than it was a secretary. Because <laughs> at least as a, as a SEAL Team 6 commander, most of the rounds came from the front. Yeah, and, right. and, and if someone really, uh, really uh, yeah, upset you or grew your attention, uh, you could take them out. As interior, just kind of sit there, you take it every day. And then, totally. of course, you have the media, you know, literally making up stories. Oh, yeah. I mean, making up stories. They know. In one case, I was talking to a major outlet, uh, you know, the Washington uh, desk, right? And I, I call. I said, hey, you know, the story you're running, you know, is wrong. And he goes, oh, I know. Nope. So, you know, nope. and you go, what? <laughs> you know, usually, usually from, from the media, so, well, why don't you like it? What point? Yeah, right. It's yeah. not correct. But when, when they say, well, I know it's wrong, they're running it anyway. <laughs> That's a jarring, a jarring answer. It's uh, okay. So where do we go from here? Did do, do you have yeah, any well, obligation yeah, to like, correct well, it? Yeah, you know, have a nice day. Uh, okay, but, thank you. <laughs> but you know, this is this is what 
these information oligarchs in the media has become. Yeah. You know, you have the Washington Post. They don't care about the truth anymore. It's just about an agenda. And, you know, I, I, I went through 18 investigations and, you know, all of them run their course. No wrongdoing at the end. Yeah. Uh, but there was never any wrongdoing in the beginning. It, well, it and the whole just, goal is just to get you to, to prevent you from doing your job, right? I mean, the yeah, whole goal uh, is just a distraction. Right. Uh, and then, you know, the tragedy uh, of it is you shouldn't have to be a billionaire to serve in the cabinet. Yeah. I, I think having a diversity of backgrounds, of, of economic you know, standing, you know, is important because ultimately the cabinet you know, represents, you know, the people in a mission and a department. And you shouldn't have to be a billionaire to serve. And you shouldn't have to walk around with a fleet of attorneys. That's right. Uh, because what it does is, that, is it dilutes your ability to get things done. Uh, and it dilutes discussion. Uh, you know, part of the strength of this country is whether you sit on the right or left side of the aisle is that discussion, dialogue, you know, find, find common ground. Um, but you know, at, at this point in time, um, uh, this is why I'm returning to DC is we, we got to find that, that common ground and we got to work together. Cause if we don't, I think this nation, the separation, uh, ha has become acute and it certainly is putting at risk our entire nation. I love it. Well, we're all for you. Um, I got three big questions that every listener of this show it, this is how they judge the interview, right? So I'm sure they like you up to this point, but these are the important ones, all right? <laughs> right? So, all right. So, should, I, should, I get a, should I get an envelope? Yeah. No. All right. All right. Here we go. <laughs> here we go. First question is, your last meal on earth, what would it be? I'm a Montanan, you know, uh, girl ribeye. There you go. Yeah, yeah, I figured that's where this was headed. Potato, fully loaded. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a last meal. You can't have, have to worry about too little sour cream on that sucker. Well, I say fully loaded and, and all that context, right? Yeah, exactly. If you all, can find the ammunition. All of that context. I all love right. that. that. That was an easy pitch. All right. All right, so you hit that one out of the park. Here's number two. Uh, if you never got into public service at all, what do you think you'd be doing with your life? Um, you know, I would probably... Believe it or not, I enjoy gardening. Uh, I think it's very therapeutic. Uh, my grandmother was a great gardener. Huh. I would probably be in the landscaping business. Um, you know, Fascinating. I, you know, I, enjoy, I, I enjoy that. It's a lot different uh, than uh, being a you know, Navy SEAL and hunting <laughs> yes, down terrorists. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's the thing. I, I love being on the rivers. Uh, you know, Montana's got beautiful rivers. My yeah. wife and I you know, enjoy floating down the rivers, but something outdoors, you know, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a great answer. It certainly it is in contrast to your public career. This is why we asked the question, right? It's a fantastic answer. Well, if I could make a living being, being a ski instructor, I'd probably do that too, but yep. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure it could. Yeah. <laughs> that's crossed my mind too. All right. So final question, what motivates Ryan Zinke more? The thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Victory. Uh, because a, a victory uh, is a team. We all win uh, when we have a victory. And look, I, you know, I, I love my country. I would not go back to D.C., one, if I didn't think it was fixable, and two, if I didn't love my country. 
Uh, and there we have the opportunity to fix this present trajectory. And even my Democrat friends look at it and going, we're going down to Davy Jones locker. So that's lead from the front. That's uh, make America great again. That's uh, save America. Uh, but, you know, everyone's got to do their duty. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, follow us at RyanZinke.com. Uh, it's, it's easy. Uh, you know, I think Dan Crenshaw's do, doing a good job. Uh, follow the six seals that, that are going to help take back the House of Representatives. Are you guys going to have like a seal caucus when you get there? Is that, can we expect a, a Navy well, seal? That's a badass group. I'm not sure. Yeah, you it's a, you know, we're, we're going to add our special forces friends too, because we got, you know, Brian Mast. And yeah, there, there's, there's a, a lot of really talented veterans. There are. Uh, and, and some of them, you know, I'm responsible for because I talked them into it. And some, <laughs> some of them curse me and some of them love me. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I think it's important to have a group that has shown, has taken a blood oath to defend the Constitution against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. You know, I never really thought about the domestic part because I always thought it was in context of the British Empire, you know, the loyalists, but fast yeah, forward. Yeah. Uh, there are people, uh, there are some in Congress that hate this country, uh, that would rather see the Constitution as a symbol and, and not an oath, and which is ironic because uh, when, you, when you give the oath of duty, of service, uh, they should pay attention to what, that, what those words are. And I take those words very seriously. No, oh, very well said. Listen, Ryan Zinke, all the best to you. Good luck on the campaign. I can't wait to see you back here in, in D.C. And the thing is, if we get out to Montana, you're going to have to show me some of those rivers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the good thing about Montana, we have good hunting season. We have good snow. We have good rivers. Uh, you know, a lot of people recently are coming to, to Montana. And all we ask, you know, Come aboard, make Montana, you know, a better state. But, you know, if you're liberal politics, just leave them at the door. That's all. <laughs> leave them at the door. And, you know, right. you, it, I got to tell you, Montana, you know, I always kind of laugh is that, look, in Montana, we should have an application. Your first question is, do you own and love guns? <laughs> yeah, right. And if you say yes, you can go to question number two. If you say <laughs> no, thank you for your application. Yeah, enjoy California. Yeah. <laughs> oh that's great well thank you for joining us today oh thank you and god bless god bless so my my initial takeaway on zinke i said this at the top like how many things can this dude do in his life he's a navy seal right he's a college football player starting college football player he is a congressman he's a secretary for a president and now he, he's still in the game he wants to run for con i mean Guy's That's got a, a big engine. That's, That's a, a big engine right there. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. You know, and I think it also points to what we've been talking about on the program today, which is everyone can sense the red wave is coming and that we're going to have an opportunity to do a lot of good things if we can get back this government. Yeah. And he and he's a guy who is going to get in there and want to do stuff. He's not in there to go on TV and yeah, exactly. make himself like, famous. Yeah, uh, exactly. With this disaster of a Biden administration that is completely incompetent, you're going to see folks who know how to get things done get in there and run. So outstanding, outstanding interview. An outstanding episode. Gentlemen, another banger in the can. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, 
and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.